Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Bever. And we've got another special guest again with us this evening. And who are you, sir? I'm Chris Bass. Well, dude, it is nice to have you on the show. And just for the listeners out there, there's also my dog behind me. Again, this is a great informal podcast, and I'm not getting up to do anything about it. But anyway, let's get back to Chris here. Um, Chris Bass serves as pastor of First Baptist Church. Versailles, right? Versailles? Oh, no. Versailles, Missouri. (laughs) We're in Missouri, man. I know. Versailles, Missouri. And he writes and speaks on Christian apologetics. Uh, His articles have been published in the Biblical Illustrator, and he blogs at pastorchrisbass.wordpress.com. And so uh, if you go to the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, because he's also a colleague with us in the network, that's why we have him on the show. We want to finally introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend, the Chris Bass that uh, has been quoted on the internet uh, that he doesn't, you know, that we're not going to remember anything he ever says. Um, he can talk about that in a little bit, uh, but you know, his uh, main thing that he likes to talk about, at least number one on the uh, website is that he likes apologetics through family worship. That's what we're talking about tonight. So Dr. Bass, please take it away. Share, um, you know, I've already given us a little bit of an introduction from the, the website anyway, but share with us a little about yourself and tell us about your ministry, your family, um, or in, in dealing with family worship or whatever, and uh, the current role you have in your church. Sure. I am the pastor at First Baptist Church of Versailles, and I've been here uh, for four years now. Uh, before that, I was a youth pastor for 11 years in Clinton, Missouri. Uh, I've been happily married to Ashley for 13 years, and we just had our first son, Stone, in December. Nice. And so we're excited about that. Uh, I, I feel like my ministry is all about trying to fulfill Ephesians 4.12, equip mm. the saints for the ministry and build up the body of Christ. And so Amen. I want to see people develop into fully committed followers of Jesus. I think there's certain characteristics that you look for in that, like they're experiencing a growing relationship with Jesus. They're sharing the gospel. They're worshiping God regularly, both privately and corporately. They're yielded to the spirit. Uh, They apply the Bible to their life. They know and use their spiritual gifts. They participate in small groups or Sunday school, and uh, they have an intentional discipleship plan. So they're not just freewheeling it, hoping something will stick, but they have an intentional plan to be a more committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so I've become more and more focused on that disciple making aspect uh, as the years have progressed through my ministry, because that's what the great commission calls us to do. Make disciples. Amen. And all I can say is uh, brother, thanks for your service. I mean, we do. And and it's one of those things like we have that for veterans and all that kind of stuff, but you know, these guys are also um, in the trenches of spiritual warfare. So we got, we, if we're not looking um, at our pastors and, and deacons and just the people that are overseeing things. If we do not recognize that there is a battle, that there is a war going on. And so if we're going to thank our earth people for their service um, in the earthly realms of, of anything that have to deal with diplomacy, war, all that kind of stuff, if we're going to thank them for their service, we need to make sure that we were thanking our elders. And I'm 
saying this as not an elder, but as somebody <laughs> that has been watched in the word to find out that I need elders in my life. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God has put together, um, you know, Christ building his church, but, you know, I just wanted to, since I said that, I just wanted to make sure to put that out. Thank you for your service. And uh, it's a, it's a major service to the saints, especially in Versailles, Missouri. So. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to say this too, of all the guests that we've had on besides my father, I think I've known Chris, Dr. Bass, the longest, uh, I was so fortunate to go to Southwest Baptist University with him. We lived in the same dorm. He was on the third floor. I was on the second floor when I was a student. Uh, I will say this, uh, and I did not say this to Chris off the uh, air or anything. I don't know that I've said this to him before. One of the things that I remember very clearly about Chris when we were at Southwest Baptist University was that he was humble about the knowledge that he had, and he was very serious as a minister of the gospel then. It was something that convicted me early on. I thought, hey, there's a guy who's genuine. There's a guy who's sincere. And that still remains true about you. I am so grateful that you would take your time to be on the program. Sorry, we haven't had you on sooner. And I'm glad that I can share that with you and let other people know just kind of my background with Chris. We weren't like really close friends or anything. I've kind of watched you from, from afar. We were in a few little Bible studies together, but, you know, always uh, enjoyed getting to be around Chris. So thanks, brother, for being a good influ influence on me. <laughs> well, I appreciate those kind words and uh, hopefully I can live up to them. Well, do us a favor and just tell us a little bit about how you got into apologetics. I remember you coming by the booth the first year we had it, and I was like, man, you need to get into the apologetics network. And you did. And I was glad that you did. <laughs> so how did you become interested in apologetics? Well, I and maybe maybe most people are like this. It wasn't necessarily like one major thing that, you know, I was like, oh, now I've got to do this. Probably a bunch of things that culminated my interest in apologetics. Uh, but like, there's two things that really kind of come to mind whenever I start thinking about it. The first one is uh, from my days back in SBU. Uh, did you ever take Dr. Bennett for evangelism back then? I did. Yeah, I was very fortunate okay. to have Dr. Bennett. I didn't have him for evangelism. I had him for spiritual formations, but I would go out on the evangelism okay. nights with him. Right. Absolutely. So we'd go out and we'd do these evangelism nights down in Springfield. And I had a tough night one night. There was a bunch of questions that I got asked and I didn't know the answers. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, couldn't uh, argue my way out of it or whatever. And so I was telling this to Dr. Bennett and he told me, you know, if you don't have an answer the first time, that's all right. You know, you can't anticipate every question that's going to come. And so if you don't have an answer for the, you know, the first time, that's fine. But if you, if you don't have an answer the second time that that same question is asked or a similar question is asked, he said, you might need to do some repenting. Uh, and so that, that pushed me to continue to, to dig and to not be discouraged when I didn't have an answer and that it was okay that I didn't know everything. Um, but I shouldn't be a slacker and not, you know, try and find answers either. Uh, the second one, uh, the second thing took place in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Colorado. I went out there to hear Erwin Lutzer at a conference. He was pastor at Moody for a long time. And there's this breakout session with an associate of his from Scotland. Anyway, he was an evangelist with the Herald's Trust. And he gave a great lesson to a reasonable faith. And one of the things that he said was that Christianity is not a blind faith, reasonable faith. It's not kissing your brains goodbye, but using them. And I, that 
quote has always stuck with me. It's not kissing your brains goodbye. And so, you know, God wants our hearts, absolutely, but he also wants our minds. And so uh, that those two things, along with a lot of other things, pushed me to wanting to defend the faith and to make sure that I could give an answer for the reason for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, it's a, that's pretty much a shared story. Uh, you know, whenever it comes down to, you know, me, it's just having to answer those questions myself. And so, you know, just talking about that, uh, you know, we preach the gospel to ourselves. That was a major thing in my life that I had to just preach the gospel to myself. And then I realized this is apologetics. And so again, like we've had to, there's a broader definition going on than I had made apologetics and what a a lot of people make apologetics out there. So, um, you know, we get into this because we've had to ask questions um, and get those answers, um, repent of certain things. And then we just go, Hey, we, we really like this. And then we find out that God is, has used, is using that to go, okay, I want you to teach. Like you've learned a lesson. Now I want you to teach it because then, like you said, um, this is the way that the church works in Ephesians four. So we're supposed to be trained. I was like, I'm supposed to be doing ministry. And even though there's not an apologetic, you know, there's not an apologist office or whatever. It's a, it's, I found out I'm just supposed to be doing this and this is everybody. And so a lot of people try to get out of it. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So evangelism again, as uh, if you look back in the uh, show me why book I read, it's a, uh, you know, there's a coin with two sides. One is proclamation. The other one's defense. And you're going to be, mm-hmm. it's the same coin, but either you're going to have to answer questions or you're going to be proclaiming things and then making claims or whatever, and then answering those questions. And that's the means that God is using, you know, who, how are they going to find out or how are they going to find out who, what, who's bringing salvation if we don't have a preacher. And so there's a difference between that kind of preaching right. and what happens on a Sunday. And that's another topic for another day, but uh, you know, but that's, that's, <laughs> oh, the thing. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, we got this common, common thing and I hope other people find that commonality. I've had to answer questions now. Maybe I should be teaching others the answer to that question or like teaching people going through the same thing. And this is just discipleship. Uh, and how God unifies us. So uh, I just think that okay. that's a beautiful picture there, which kind of brings us around a little bit to Chris's specialty here on this, mm-hmm. and, and one of the reasons we've brought him on is to talk a little bit about family worship, because that's what his doctoral dissertation is on, that's one of the things that he's listed as, and it's not really a concept that a lot of people uh, connect with uh, apologetics, so Chris, if you don't mind, could you maybe define for us what family worship is? Because honestly, that's not a term that I grew up hearing, and not something that I think a lot of people are really familiar with. Sure. Um, You know, when you look in the Bible, there's at least three different kinds of worship. You have corporate worship, which is basically what we do on Sunday mornings. Then you have personal worship, which a lot of people will call like quiet time or devotional time or whatever. And then there's family worship. And family worship is simply when you get together with your family at a specific time to worship God. You're focusing your attention on him. You're learning about him. You're praying to him. Uh, Sometimes people call it family devotional, uh, and that's what I thought it was called at the beginning. But whenever I started looking for stuff, you know, throughout history, I found out it's called family worship. And so, you know, if you want to Google it later, you know, for the people that are watching, if you Google it later, Google family worship, you'll find so much more information than if you type in family devotional. Um, But it's a time that you use to grow your family in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not 
just, uh, it, it's not uh, complex either. Uh, it should be really simple. It doesn't require a doctorate, an ordination certificate, a high school diploma, or even an extended period of time. All it takes to do family worship is a, is have a commitment. I mean, that's, that's, that's so true. I mean, it, it goes back into like, you know, we talked about homeschooling um, a couple episodes back and it's, yeah. you know, and I always go back to like RC Sproul's book on that. It's like, you know, are you ready to teach your kids? And it's like, you know, are you qualified? And he tells you to like, okay, if, is it nighttime? All right, <laughs> now go up the stairs and open up a door. Is there a kid in the bed? The answer yeah. is yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it comes into this is not. I mean, this is really a, a part of homeschool. Yeah, <laughs> in a way. Um, but yeah, yeah you, you talked about there's other resources now. Um, how about uh, we're going to get off those questions now, uh, just yeah. a little bit. But uh, you know, where do you see that in scripture? You said that there's three sort of things of, of worship, oh, yeah. right? Where do you see this? So, in- yeah, as far as like family worship specifically, um, passages like Genesis 18. Uh, where, uh, 18, 19 and chapter 22, where they're getting ready to make sacrifices, even in Genesis, say chapter three or four, when, uh, Cain and Abel are getting ready to go make their sacrifice. Like, how do they know that they're supposed to sacrifice something? Well, they know because their dad taught them when Isaac's getting ready to be sacrificed by his father, how, how does he know that the wood or uh, that the that the lamb is missing. Well, it's because Abraham taught him that that's what you do to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably one of the most well-known passages is uh, Deuteronomy six, yep. uh, right after the Shema, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your houses, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And so we're supposed to be, teaching the truths of God's word all the time in every way. Um, there's not, uh, according to that verse, there's not a time that isn't good to, mm. to teach your kids. Every time is good to teach them. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10 kind of says a similar thing. And then uh, later in chapter 6, there's some more talk about how we're supposed to share those things with uh, our children. Uh, there's, a, there's other passages. Another, another familiar one is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And obviously proverbs aren't, you know, um, like vending machines, you put your money in and push the buttons and it comes out like it's supposed to, but they're general axioms. So it's generally true. If you train up your child, most of the time they will continue to follow the Lord in their old age. Um, So, you know, those are kind of the main ones. There's other passages like Psalm 78, one through eight, where he talks about uh, handing down the information from from the grandparents to the parents, to the children and through the generations, uh, Joshua 24 talks about Ephesians 6, 4, you know, uh, fathers do not exasperate your children, but, uh, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, and probably a more controversial one, uh, <laughs> that I used to argue for family worship in my dissertation was first Timothy chapter three. Uh, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under his control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Mm-hmm. And then in chapter or in verse 12, it says deacons must be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. And so while these 
our descriptions of characteristics for qualifications for elders and leaders, um, it seems like there was an expectation that every man would be leading his family in family worship. And then the church would choose those who were doing exceptionally well at home to serve as leaders of the church. And yeah. so, um, you know, those, those are probably the main passages that I, you know, go to whenever I talk about family worship, but there's, there's a lot of passages in the Bible. I think, I think I came up with a list of 35 or 36 passages that are kind of directly or in like maybe slightly indirectly connected to family worship. And so, I mean, there's, it's just all throughout the Bible. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we went through the same verses, you know, just with the homeschooling idea, but you know, what I want to know is like that distinction that you can make between like, you know, homeschooling, which a lot of people would be like, okay, this is where I teach my kids math, science, uh, reading and all that kind of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. is there a distinction of what you would call family worship or is there more, I mean, there's this, or is this more of a broad thing? Well, I, I think that it could be part of your homeschool thing. I'm, I've never homeschooled, so I can't, you know, I'm kind of not in on what exactly it's like all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have to correct my perception if I'm wrong. Um, but I would say that if your kids think that studying the Bible uh, for family worship is just another class that they're taking, then you're probably not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Well said. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think <laughs> I got they, out of you. Really well said. If, if, your family worship time looks like a Sunday morning worship service, then you're doing it wrong. Hmm. If it looks like a Sunday school class, you're doing it wrong. Hmm. And so because that's kind of a interesting evolution in your ministry. I don't know if you studied uh, youth ministry there at Southwest Baptist university, but you went into youth ministry. And then you went into the pastoral ministry. And while you're in the pastoral ministry, I think you probably finished up your dissertation in there. How did you get uh, engaged in the topic of family worship? Because that's not a broadly studied topic among uh, people that I know that are doing doctoral dissertations. It's probably not a super popular thing, but you've obviously seen it as a critical thing. So how did you get this into your mind? Where did you begin on this journey? Uh, So during my 11 years as a youth pastor, I would have question and answer nights, probably once a month, every six weeks or so, something like that. And I've got a whole notebook full of questions that kids asked from that time. And um, some, some through that, I realized that, that there was more help that needed to be uh, done, but, but really I was frustrated. Um, And so I was frustrated because after I did some math, because, you know, that's what you do when you're frustrated, you do math. um, I figured out that I have, if a kid is there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I have 156 hours to influence them, which is roughly six days. Hmm. And so no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I tried to do, that little amount of time was not going to make the impact that I hoped for. Um, Because everything that I was teaching them in those few hours each week was being unlearned through school through social media, through television, through music, 
and all that stuff. They were unlearning everything that they had learned in church. And so um, what I did was I, I tried to figure out what's the number one influencer for teenagers. And to my delight, I found out that it was still their parents. And so I thought if I can figure out how to help the parents, then maybe, maybe what I can do is make a bigger impact on these kids' lives. Uh, I found out that 85% of parents with children under the age of 13 believe that they have the primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. But the majority of parents do not spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or or studying religious materials with their children. And so most of the time, parents are relying on the church to do all the religious training that their kids are going to receive. And like I said, I only have 156 hours if they show up every single time that we had something going on. And so what I found in in the church that I was in, I found out that something like 83% of the fathers believe that it was their responsibility to train up their children, but 69% responded that they never led any family Bible reading time in their home and that their prayer was very short right before a meal. And that many of those fathers in particular, 60% of them didn't spend any time reading the Bible on their own. And so their own spiritual life was lacking. And so I tried a few things to get the parents engaged and, and to help them take spiritual interest in their children at a more intentional level. I'd send a weekly email out with less with you know the general gist of the lesson and questions that they could use to to chat with their kids about and i've been sending it out for months and months and then one real one week i realized i forgot to send it out there's some kind of glitch in the email server or something who knows but it didn't go out and nobody said anything Mm -hmm. and i was like hmm so i decided i'd conduct a social experiment and i didn't send it out the next week and i didn't send it out the next week and nobody said anything Mm. four weeks by nothing five nothing on the sixth week i decided that i would change my tactic and i sent an email and then followed up with some of my parents who were on our email list and i asked hey have you been getting that summary email with the questions to use for your kids each week and almost all of them replied i don't know i haven't been using them Mm. so needless to say i was crushed i'd spent all that time months and months preparing the summaries and the questions and no one was using them. And I thought, I'm, I'm just going to give up. You know, what's the point of trying to do anything if the parents aren't going to, you know, aren't going to do anything either. But <clears throat> during the course of my dissert doctoral uh, journey, I read a book by Richard Baxter. Uh, called, I was getting ready to like yeah. say something about that. So, yes, start. Yeah. In. So I read Richard Baxter, the reformed pastor. That's the mm-hmm. book. And uh, there was this really small, insignificant portion of the book, and it just jumped out and grabbed me. And uh, Baxter had this really interesting habit of visiting the homes of his parishioners, and then he would teach the fathers to lead their families spiritually. Hmm. And he believed that it was responsibility of the father to train their children and then the rest of the family, really. And then the next time he would go and visit the father, he would review the content with the kids. He'd ask the kids the questions to see if their dad had taught it to them. And 
which I thought was brilliant. That was a, that's a genius way to do it because not only is he teaching the fathers, but then he's making sure the fathers are actually doing it. So he's not like just asking us, Hey, did you teach your kids? And they're like, Oh yeah, I definitely did. You know, they really didn't, but he was quizzing the kids to make sure that they actually knew that information that he had taught them. And so, uh, man, that little, that little section just grabbed onto me some, for some reason, probably because of my frustration. Uh, and so, you know, I just kept seeing it over and over again in the Bible after that, about how, um, the home is the most immediate context for discipleship. And that's where, that's where we're supposed to train kids. You know, the church is good and it should be a supplement, uh, to what families are doing at home or maybe help families to get the stuff that they need to be able to do at home. But the home is the primary place. Um, Don Whitney, who actually wrote a book called family worship, which I would highly recommend. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm persuaded that no, that so little family worship regularly exists in Christian homes that even the most in most of our best churches, most of our best men do not lead their wives and their children. If they have them in family worship, that's a pretty big condemnation on on people, you know, God's people who are supposed to be leading family worship. Uh, and then another book called Trained in the Fear of God by Randy Stinson and, and uh, Timothy Jones. They said far too many fathers and mothers have never been equipped to function as active partners in the training of their children. And I found that to, that to be true. Most fathers didn't feel like they were equipped to lead, you know, family worship. They didn't know what to do. They didn't, some of them most of them knew that they should do something, but most of them didn't know what that something ought to be. And so as a youth pastor, I saw that as a really, a really big issue because if that was, if all of that is true and and it is, then, then there's a problem in the local church um, because people are not doing something that the Bible calls them to do. So, I mean, so saying that and you, you, you've seen it, you've been in the trenches on that. Okay. So you, you talked about that mailing list kind of idea. Is there, Mm -hmm. uh, is there something um, that uh, could be great resources to pastors to create this environment? How would you create an environment um, to, because like you said, Ephesians four, you're supposed to be as a pastor equipping people to do ministry, therefore fathers. Right. Leading their family to family worship. How would you implement? Yeah. What would you uh, kind of, what would your ideal sort of be for that? Purpose? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that. And uh, it, in another part of the journey that I had in, in getting to this topic was that like every Southern Baptist church, not every Southern Baptist, church, a lot of Southern Baptist churches use uh, J. Newton Brown's 1853 church covenant for their churches. And uh, in fact, it became such a popular church covenant that they printed it in the 1956 Baptist hymnal. And just so happens, I have that hymnal and it is printed right here, the church covenant uh, that's in there. And one of the lines in that covenant reads, we also engage to maintain family and secret devotions to religiously educate our children. And that was on the wall in the church that I grew up in. Um, I've seen it in on the wall, like up in the front of the church, like behind where the pastor's preaching. I've seen it up there in a lot of churches. 
And I don't think I've ever remembered one sermon or even an encouragement from part of a sermon to do family worship. Mm. And so, or family devotions as, as the covenant says. And so, man, what a neglected spiritual discipline uh, among Southern Baptists. And so I think that if we want strong churches, then we need strong families uh, because strong and strong families come from families engaging in family and secret devotions. You get strong in the Lord and then you get, you know, a church is made up of its people, its families, families are made up of an individual of individuals. And so we need strong individual Christians. We need strong family Christians and we need strong church, you know, strong church people too. And so we got to engage it at every level. If we're going to see any kind of movement of God or spiritual growth or kingdom growth. Um, and so I think that the way pastors can begin to create that environment in our churches is to, is just simply just start preaching on it. Yeah. God bless you, Dave. <laughs> I was, I was um, trying to hit the mute button before I, know, I, right? I felt the sneeze that come one, on. I was trying to hit the mute button, but I didn't get it quick enough. Oh, it never happens, dude. That sneeze has been immortalized on the Tango yes, podcast. It's going to be epic. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to isolate. I'm going to make that my ringtone now. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe my text notification. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, I think that pastors can begin to create that environment in their churches by simply starting to preach on preach on it, you know, yeah. uh, engage it and encourage it among their people. Um, every single sermon can have an applicational component to families and family worship. And so we should be promoting it in our sermons every week from the pulpit. We should be encouraging our people to engage their families with the word of God more than just on Sunday during church. And so I think that's the, that's the start of it. Um, one of the things that worked really well when I was uh, pursuing this as a youth pastor was having accountability groups. And so we'd get together each week with the group of men and they would share how their family worship was going. Each one of them would get an opportunity and we'd ask, how's, how's it going in your home? What are your struggles? What do you see happen? What's going well? And so what we would hear is stories about how their family worship was going, all their successes. We'd hear about their failures and they'd hear it from the other guys too. So they'd realize that they're struggling through this thing together. And uh, not, you know, not every night is going to be, you know, this blissful, you know, oh, holy family kind of thing. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes your one and a half year old is going to, you know, scream or you know, have a blowout in their diaper during mm -hmm. family worship. And it's just, you know, those kind of things happen. That's life. Um, but one of the things that they did was they got ideas for things they might try to do differently to help them and theirs and encouragement from the other guys saying, you know, you're doing just fine, man. That's, you know, and so that was great. Um, and then we'd also look at different passages that connect to family worship from the Bible to remind them that this isn't just something that's, somebody's idea for, you know, how to make your family, you know, it's not like a 12 step program. This is like a biblical call, a biblical responsibility. And so we did that each week. That was super helpful. In fact, when we stopped doing that about a month after some of the guys were like, can we keep meeting? And I'm like, yeah, keep meeting. There's nothing keeping you all from, from doing that. I had other responsibilities, but I was like, yeah, keep getting together. And so that, that community really helped them. Uh, keep going. So yeah, what you said there, I just uh, wanted to just kind of summarize. Yeah, um, 
it's something family worship is something then that is uh to be faithful in but not successful at so i think yeah we definitely look for the success like you know the uh you know right every, every time you know because i've had that i was like man like i just want my kids for like five minutes just to sit down and like let me read something and then just like let me ask some questions yeah and you know then it's always just like come on kid just sit down just sit down no don't get up sit down just come on you know but that's what it ends up becoming but i mean i'm my if i'm modeling patience i'm modeling yep. worship 100 <laughs> percent, man that's so, exactly yeah, be, right yeah so you got to be faithful um not successful and so yeah well i would i probably wouldn't put it uh, like that i'd probably say that we're looking for consistency not perfection yeah yeah i get you there. so yeah. so rather than rather than trying to make everything perfect and do it, you know, like even if you miss a day or whatever, like they're like, that was one of the questions that some of the guys asked are like, well, what if I miss a day? And I'm like, then do it again tomorrow. I'm just like, if you miss a meal, do you just stop eating all together? No, you pick it up the next opportunity that you have to eat a meal. You, you eat then. And yeah. it's the same way. It's the same way with our personal spiritual devotional life. And I think it's the same way with family devotional life. You know, I think about when we, conceptualize family worship we almost only exclusively say hey this is for young families with their kids but i believe that one of the things i've at least gleaned from what you've shared chris is no you don't even have to have kids nope. you need to be ministering to your spouse you need to be pastoring your spouse just like you would yep. be ministering to yourself by daily consuming God's word and spending time in prayer it causes me to reflect back to my grandparents uh, who tell me we pray for you guys every day. Well, they do so together. They spend time yeah. together going through their prayer list. They're continuing in their old age, family worship. They probably haven't even said, hey, we're doing family worship, but I guarantee you that's what's going on there. But that brings me back to kind of the connecting point here. And for me, that becomes how is this an apologetics issue? Mm, yeah. So I mentioned Richard Baxter earlier and that genius idea of, that he had about teaching the father and then quizzing the children. And one of the things that that does is it, it the, the father has to understand his assignment to teach his kids and that the kids are actually being taught. But in the process, one of the consequences, the natural consequences of doing this is that the father is is um, burying the truth of God's word in his own heart because teaching is one of the best ways to learn something. If you teach it, then you have to know that subject a little bit better. Uh, and so the fathers are putting it in their heart, hiding God's word in their heart as they're teaching it to their kids. And so this becomes, um, this becomes an awesome foundation for that apologetics to build on so they're hiding god's word in their heart and then naturally questions are going to come up children ask the best questions and sometimes they ask questions that like we don't even think about because and maybe we've never thought about them uh, but they see things differently and their minds are so curious and so when they ask those questions the whole family learns and they're able to um like we said before when we we're talking about uh, you know what apologetics is you know, they're able to just answer those questions. And that's, that's really what apologetics is having an answer for the questions. And so the children's get, the children get an answer. The whole family gets an answer. 
they all learn together. They grow closer together because spiritual connections are stronger than anything else. And so, um, you know, they, we used to cat like back in the day, they called it catechizing your kids. Mm. And basically it was like a set of questions that you'd ask your kids and they would have to memorize the answers and all that stuff. And early, early Baptists did some of that too. In fact, Charles Spurgeon has a catechism that he used for new believers uh, and it had similar questions to some of the more well-known catechisms, you know, about like, you know, what's the purpose of, of life and, you know, who, who made everything and all that sort of thing. And in those, it, and so family worship does a similar thing to that in that it answers those basic questions about the faith. And those kids are going to come back around to those questions again and again and again, as they grow, the perspective on those things is going to change some. And so they're going to need to open up a new section of truth for whatever particular topic that is. And, um, you know, if you're doing family worship and you're in your read a passage and your kid's like, oh, I was talking to Johnny about that the other day. And he asked this question. Well, now you have an opportunity to help not only your kid understand the answer to the question, but also to witness to his friend, Johnny. Um, and maybe Johnny comes over and he's there during the time that you normally do family worship. And you say, Hey, Johnny, you want to join us for family worship? And you bring him along, you know, for the ride. And then maybe he asks the question right there. Who knows? Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, you know, thinking about like resources and all that kind of stuff, you know, we're talking about hey, Richard Baxter was awesome, but I'm mm -hmm. noticing in the background, you've got that family driven faith, which is another great book by body Bauckham. Yep. So, um, you know, there's talks there, a lot uh, about, uh, homeschooling in that book. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's the whole family, right. family worship thing. This and one I mean, here is called, uh, this one's called family shepherds. Mm -hmm. He's got them all lined up. Yeah. Family shepherds. <laughs> and that's a good one too. Um, there's a, there's actually a lot of really good books out there. Uh, the, those two are really good. If you like Vody, you know, I recommend those. Uh, really, I think probably if I was going to recommend one book to a lay person, it would either be A Neglected Grace by Jason Halopoulos or Family Worship by Don Whitney. Mm -hmm. those are and that excellent one's, and that john whitney one is a small one and the, they yeah. at my church they've handed them out to all of our yeah. members had a chance to grab one but yeah that's i'll uh i'll stop talking anyway because no no you're good if you get the uh <laughs> yeah, and jason's there. jason's book is really good too um i don't know if this is actually showing up backwards or not nope you're looking good you're looking all good. right so uh, yeah jason's book's good it's got like submitted stories in the back of like people's successes and failures as they led family worship in their home and like things that happened. And, and uh, so it has really good encouraging stories in it that you'll be like, Oh, thank God. My family is not abnormal because my, you know, two-year-old is running around throwing carrots during family worship or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, a couple other ones are Joel Beak has written a couple uh, one's called Family Worship, and another one is called How Men Should Lead Their Homes. And those two are really good books, too. Uh, another one is called Rediscovering Family Worship by Jerry Marciello. I think it's Marcian Marciello. No, I don't know how to pronounce it. But he, uh, his book, and all those books are really short. And so those are the, all those books are really good entry level family worship stuff. Now, if you're a pastor, 
and you want uh, and you want to start thinking about creating that environment of family worship in your church. There's a book called Trained in the Fear of God, and it's by Randy Stinson and Timothy Jones, and it's more of an academic approach, and it would be helpful uh, for pastors who are thinking about getting something going in their church. Uh, it's called, uh, the subtitle is Family Ministry and Theological, Historical, and Practical Perspective. And so what he tries to do is he looks at those, those, uh, that background to build the foundation of the church's family ministry. And so this is a really good, it's a little thicker, a couple hundred pages, um, almost 300, but uh, epic. Chris, help me with some of the practicality of this. Yeah. Let's say that I'm listening to the podcast and mm-hmm. man, uh, I, I think this is a great idea. How would you begin to establish a practice of family worship in your home? And if you're a pastor, you've already hit that. You need to preach a series on what is, how, uh, and why, right? Like, I think that's a great little piece. And and you're always available to come in and and maybe give, you know, a sermon or a a brief, you know, little conference on that, which would be great. Yeah. I think that's awesome. But if, if I have the attention of one or two people. Let's say that there's a guy in my church who's listening to this right now and they don't do uh, family worship. What would you say? Here's how you start it, man. And here's what you need to expect. And and here's some of the, here's some of the troubles that you're going to have. I know because I've experienced them and I've heard other people talk about them. So walk me through that process, you know, fairly concisely, but in a way that's easy for people to grab onto. I think that the first thing to do is let your family know that you want to do it. And it's going to feel weird at first because mm-hmm. it's not something that you've ever done before, but now you're convicted that it's something that you should do. And so just say, Hey, look, we're going to be trying this. It may go really, really bad for the first while, but hang with it. We'll get, we'll get the hang of it. It's just like, you know, just like when a kid starts learning how to play baseball, they don't walk up to the plate and, you know, take a 50 mile an hour pitch right out of the gate. You know, you start them off with T-ball because they can't hit a ball that's moving fast. And so as, as dads or parents start doing this, there's going to be, it's going to be a learning curve. And so just admitting that up front and saying, I've never done this before. uh, So hang with me on it. We're going to figure it out together. I think that's a great, great place to start with your family. So they kind of know what to expect and then um, keep it simple. I think a lot of times we make it much more difficult than it needs to be. And so, uh, read a scripture and it doesn't have to be like, it can just be the next scripture, you know, like say you're going to read through Mark or something, read the next story, read the scripture, uh, pray and sing. Those are the things that I'd recommend. Um, and so, you know, like if we, if we, uh, read John three sixteen for example, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I might ask the question, what do we learn about God's love from this verse? I let my kids answer and then, you know, correct anything that's a little off or whatever, encourage what they got right. And, and then I would pray and we might sing a song about God's love, like Jesus loves me or something like that. Depends on the age of your kids too. Uh, maybe you're not a singing type family, 
no musical abilities whatsoever. And uh, you can't even carry a tune in a bucket. Nobody can in your family. I recommended to those dads to, you know, we, we are blessed with technology. There are plenty of ways to get on your computer, cast it up on the television. There's every worship song you can imagine is on YouTube. And so just pull it up and sing along, crank up the volume. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, just keeping it simple, you know, some, like I said before, if it, if it looks like, um, if it looks like Sunday morning worship service, you're doing it wrong. If it looks like Sunday school, you're doing it wrong. Uh, because it should be, it should be brief, um, and not protracted unless not that that's a problem, but like if the kids are interested and they have questions and they're really engaged, keep going. But you don't have to keep going just because you're trying to fit, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, however long you think it ought to be. It could be five minutes. Um, and so that's, you know, if I was good, if, if there was a guy that was like, Hey, how do I start? I'd just say, just start, read, sing, pray those three things. And then once you get that down and you're pretty consistent with that, if you want to add some complexity to it, fine but you don't have to, you can keep it simple forever and ever. Uh, but some guys wanted to add complexity <clears throat> right out of the gate. And I found that those guys, like if they, if they grabbed some kind of uh, book that they were going to try and take their kids through or some kind of material, I found often that those guys were not as successful. They struggled a little bit to get going because there's, it's just too much, yeah. you know, too much to do. Cause then they felt like they had to prepare for the lesson, like you would a Sunday school lesson and that they had to, you know, do all this extra stuff and you're not going to do it if you have to do a whole lot of extra stuff. And so what I encourage them to do is whatever you're doing for your personal devotion, use that in family worship. And so when you read the passage and you ask your kids, what do you think about this passage or what, you know, what stands out to you or what do we learn about God or what do we learn about humanity or sin, you know, some sin that we might need to give up or, um, some practice that we need to commit our life to. Um, tell them how you grappled with that. You know, I read this earlier today, kids, and and here's where it really hit me. It's something I'm going to start trying to do in my life now. Well, then you build some accountability with your kids too, because once you've once you said, or whenever you're learning this stuff together, and you learn about not doing a certain thing, well, now your kids are going to be like, Dad, we learned that we're not supposed to do that the other day. Or you could be like, hey, don't you remember kids when we learned that we weren't supposed to do this the other day in the Bible? And so it provides for a lot of real life, practical, day-to-day um, Bible application. Chris, I am grateful you, well, we did not work through every single one of those questions uh, asking them. You were so well prepared. You uh, you foresaw our, our questions and it was great, uh, man. What a, a great burden to put on people. And I mean that a great burden, a great responsibility yeah. that's already yeah. put on them, but to remind us of that. And again, we defend God's word with God's word. And right. so planting it in our hearts is such a key piece. You have not only given us a great mindset for why, uh, you've given us some steps for how, but uh, if someone is listening to the program and they want to reach out to you for a plan, uh, how could they contact you and uh, what uh, you'd certainly be able to respond to them? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. They can uh, email me at pastorchrisbass at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, Chris, I really appreciate 
the blessing of your time, and I'm very thankful that you would give us this time to discuss an incredibly important thing. Give us the mindset for how you got into it, because I didn't even know how you got into it, but now I can <laughs> see how the dots connect. Yeah. Um, we want to thank you for being on the program, and we will have to have you back again in the future to maybe explore some other topics. Um, but real quick, your dissertation, uh, are yes. you going to be working on that to make it accessible to others? Um, is that I thought a, a lot about goal? that? Yeah, I'm going to try and do something. I haven't, haven't gotten there yet, but, uh, I definitely want to do something for sure. Uh, do we have a couple minutes? I just, there's a couple more things I want to share. Yeah, yeah, please. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go for so it. Pro probably the biggest challenge, biggest, uh, objection that, that I heard uh, while I was encouraging this during my dissertation process, especially was how do we fit, how do we fit it in our schedule? Mm. And so um, usually it comes from that idea that it should look like a corporate worship service or a Sunday school class yeah. or something like that. Um, Charles Spurgeon once quipped short prayers are long enough. And I think that's probably true about family worship too. Uh, sometimes short family worship is long enough. Uh, but as far as fitting on the calendar, Every family has a family calendar and what gets written on that family calendar is the important things for the family. And then they don't let anything take the place of those things they've written in. And so if family worship is going to be important to you, then you should write it on your calendar and then you should protect it against things that might try and take it away from you. That doesn't mean that you can't, you know, shift things around on a given day. Like normally you have it maybe at like seven o'clock at night, right after dinner. Uh, and that day, you know, your daughter is going to be having a softball game and you won't be at home at that normal time or whatever. So you shift it to the morning or you do it like in the van ride on the way home. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be super formal, but, but it can be, uh, but making sure that it's on the calendar, that'll let your kids know that it's important and things that are important to parents, especially fathers. If it's not important to the father, it's not going to be important to the, to the kids. It's just flat out the truth. And so it's got to be something that's important enough to you that you're going to write it on the calendar, that you're going to carve out space for it as a family. Um, another, another one was the, I mentioned it before is the curriculum issue. I recommend not doing that, but you can add stuff over time. Like there's a lot of really good um, catechisms out there. There's even like Baptist catechisms uh, that you can use to have those questions, but I would not recommend them right out of the gate. Just get that rhythm going first, and then you can add those other things in. Um, I mentioned before that there were some fathers that were not uh, keeping their own personal devotional times. And so they're like, I'm not even doing good spiritually on my own. How can I lead my family? And uh, I'll tell you what, one of the side benefits of deciding that you're going to lead family worship every day is it's going to force you into, <laughs> into taking time with God on your own. And so, uh, it, it actually can help. Um, it can help you out quite a bit. Uh, and so I, I just want to encourage people not to make those excuses. There's a lot of excuses that we can make for why we shouldn't do it, but the Bible tells us that we should. So I encourage you to do it. And even if it's awkward or, or, you know, you're singing together in the living room and you're like, we're just going to be sitting there staring at each other you sing together all the time in the car anyway. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the jam comes on, everybody starts belting it out. You're just moving it to a different location. So, you know, there's for every excuse, there's, um, there's an answer and 
And so we can't let those excuses keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Yep. Yeah. We all stand naked and exposed in front of the word of yeah. God. And so if it is awkward, okay, that's family worship night. Why is this awkward? Right. Exactly. What, how does the gospel make this not awkward anymore? Right. And so how can we be imperfect people together in a uh, brightly lit living room doing this very fumbly? Oh, because the right. gospel says that's okay. Yep. Thank absolutely. you for being faithful to me. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't say don't be awkward, it just says be faithful. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Thank you uh, so much uh, for all of that. That's a, I mean, that's, I hope this one combined with the homeschool episode too are very convicting because, I mean, we're, we're coming at the household. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a very, we, we, we like to go out and, and do things and, and have fun and put on a face or whatever. But yeah, whenever, whenever our home is attacked, this is why this is uh, some very controversial information. This is why a lot of people dig in their heels Um, and it should. um, But then again, it should hopefully lead you. It's okay. We can, we get to repent. We get to change our minds. Um, we can fumble forward in that, in that respect, because God has given us today to do that. So it's okay. It's okay. You can take a breath and be like, you know what? I can uh, change and I can change now and just be faithful and not have to have everything perfect from the get go. So thank you for, there's also the encouragement. Thank you for your encouragement as well and all this stuff. So, you know, that's just another reminder. Mm -hmm. You mentioned it before when you're talking about RC Sproul, um, Mm -hmm. you're qualified because you have a kid. You're qualified because you have a wife that makes you qualified. If God has given it to you, then he's qualified you to do it. And it's, and it's okay to say, you know, if they ask questions that you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know, let's find out the answer together. And then you can show them the process for how you find answers to, you know, to those questions in the Bible. And then they get to learn how to do that kind of thing on their own. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, if God has given us a family, he has given us the responsibility and qualifications to do it. And so we just got to get after it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, again, your time and uh, your work. Um, it's great to be a colleague with you on the Missouri Baptist apologetics network. Again, that network is there. Go to the website, look at our pretty pictures of us, uh, see, you know, click on those pictures. You'll get our bios, um, uh, what we like to talk about and all that stuff. And please call us to your church Wednesday night, small groups, whatever. I'm sure Chris, you would be happy to go meet somebody somewhere in their home in their small group too. It's not just a, yep. again, it doesn't sound like you're a guy that's just stuck in a pulpit and has to be in a sanctuary and all that stuff. We're talking about family worship, ha- have right. them over to your home with your family that maybe he can guide you through family worship and get some of that awkward stuff out. I'm sure if you catch him in the right mood on the right day, he can be, Oh yeah, I got some time. So again, he's put himself <laughs> out there, use him. This is a human resource in the church and the assembly um, that uh, we are all uh, have, we're all feet and hands and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we have those awkward big feet and we fumble around and that's why the hands are there to help kind of guide that, I guess, <laughs> you know, you can kind of make a picture of a teenager all, all funny like that, you know, um, but that's what the apologetics network is there for. We've got some people in and specialized things and to utilize. So please utilize the network. Um, hopefully Tiger, it's been a wonderful thing for the network to be able to expose and get some, get something out there. So that's just like, Hey, we've got this out here. It's a resource. Use it. Um, but anyway, thank you for your time. Thank you for all your work. 
and uh, we're going to have to call this one for the night anyway. So I don't know if Dave has anything to no, finish man, off with. Thank or... you. Thank you so much, Chris. Such a blessing to have you on. Wish we would have had you earlier. A few years ago would have been great. <laughs> You're just fine, man. It's my pleasure, uh, really. And and uh, like Adam said, you know, I'm willing to come anytime. Uh, part of that Ephesians 412 training is that I've got guys that on a Wednesday night, they can cover for me on a Sunday night. They can cover for me. And so I've made sure that we're deep in our, uh, in our abilities here at our church. And so, uh, and so I'd love to come and, and hang out with you and chat with you about not only this topic, but really any topic. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty quizzical. So I investigated a lot of other things too, besides family worship. And uh, I'd be happy to come and help out with anything I can. All right. Well, yes. And we'll, again, if you see anything and we haven't contacted you, you contacted us and say, Hey, I want to come on your show and talk about this thing. And we're more than happy to go. All right. We'll give you a night. So the always an open invitation (laughs) for all our in band folks to just be able to force their way into the tag your podcast (laughs) because we're really not that special. And we have a lot of calendar dates open. So you (laughs) guys are pretty special. What'd you say? 236 episodes. This this one will be 236 for sure. So it's uh, That's pretty yeah, special, six years man. running almost. So, yeah, I mean, it's all with the grace of God. Right. And Dave hasn't gotten tired of me, and my wife hasn't gotten tired of me doing it. So, and uh, I've had a lot of help and support, and uh, my church is definitely supportive and just encouraging what I do. And so, I don't know. It's it's just yeah. an awesome thing that this is my Monday. So, well, and <laughs> I've been a long time listener day. and I've really appreciated you guys and the, and the look that you take, you don't just skim over it. You kind of, you really dig in. And so I appreciate what you guys are doing and, and how you're helping people who watch and listen, uh, think deeply about these issues. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, yeah, if, uh, before we were on tonight, like, uh, uh, Chris was just like, he knew my Soli Deo Gloria, you know, and, like he's, he's listened to it. And so it's like, whenever I get that, cause we're not that big or whatever, but whenever I get somebody that's listened to it and they like notice some like little detail or pattern, I'm sitting like, yeah, that happens. Oh yeah. That's part of the show. That's part of the look. That's part of the feel cool. You know, it's like, cool. Something gets noticed. <laughs> yep, but, yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Well, uh, with that being said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I am Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And, and I'm Chris Bass. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.